Thanks to Quip for supporting Industry Focus. Join over 3 million happy customers and check everyone off your gift list right now with Quip. Just go to getquip.com fool to save on gift sets and to get your first refill free with a refill plan. Welcome to Industry Focus, the podcast that dives into a different sector of the stock market each day. It's Monday, December 16th. I'm your host, Jason Moser, and joining me in the studio today via the magic of Skype, it's certified financial planner, Mr. Matt Frankel. Matt, how's everything going? Pretty good. It's a, it's a good week. You know, you know why? Because um, for the first time ever, my wife listened to an episode of our podcast. Oh, really? Yeah, Interesting. To, um, I hope to, you didn't say anything to incriminate yourself. I don't think so. It was it was last <laughs> week, and it was to um, to sh- kind of show uh, her friends at work. Um, she mentioned I had a podcast, and they all wanted to hear it. Hey, now well, that's good. You get a little bit of word of mouth out there. That's what we need, right? Yeah. So a little uh, shout out to the to the uh, educators at Lexington Medical Center in South Carolina. Oh, thanks for listening. Lovely Lexington. Yeah, man. I tell you, I grew up playing uh, in a golf tournament there at Lexington Country Club every year, the South Carolina Junior Amateur Championship. A uh, lovely place. A lot of fond memories there. You know, I thought you were going to say it was a great week because, if I'm not mistaken, your South Carolina Gamecocks just beat the Clemson Tigers on the basketball court, right? Yeah, we got to be better at something. <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, I mean, listen, between that and my Wofford Terriers taking down UNC Chapel Hill yesterday in Carmichael, no less, I mean, that was, hey, listen, we had a good little one-two punch there on the basketball court this weekend, so I'm feeling pretty good about things. Yeah, I hope we can keep the momentum going. We got to be superior at at least one of the major sports down here. Yeah, it's a long season, that's for sure. Well, on this week's show, we're going to dig into a couple of listener emails. We've got more of the last stock you bought and why. Uh, We're also going to take a look here, first and foremost, though, at what... I mean, this is a new IPO, Matt. It just started trading here last week, one that seemingly has been welcomed in the market with open arms. Uh, We're talking about Bill.com. The ticker is B-I-L-L. And like I mentioned, it started trading late last week. I think Thursday, perhaps perhaps it was Friday. Um, but I mean, the stock has been on a tear ever since opening up. I mean, they they raised their pricing from around sixteen to eighteen dollars to ultimately around twenty two, and and now I mean, you've got it trading upwards of of forty dollars. I think maybe it's having a little bit of a down day today, um, but nevertheless, it's just been a a tremendous start. Uh, for what is a company that I think is is probably not on a lot of people's radars. And so, Matt, I'm going to just open this up with a reading from the company's S1 to give our listeners an idea of what this company is about. Bill.com, it says, quote, we are champions of small and mid-sized businesses, what we call those SMBs. We're a leading provider of cloud-based software that simplifies, digitizes, and automates complex back-office financial operations for SMBs. By transforming how SMBs manage their cash inflows and outflows, we create efficiencies and free our customers to run their businesses, end quote. Uh, now, Matt, I, I like the way that sounds. Uh, I, I, I will say, though, on the flip side of that coin, I don't know that it, it. I feel like I've heard that before, but let's just go ahead and kick off the discussion here uh, and, and get your first uh, your first feelings here on Bill.com as a business and, and why why the market is is been so so welcoming to it. Well, I mean, as a business, it definitely serves a purpose. Um, and kind of the selling point is there are a lot, there are many other companies that do what Bill.com does, but none of them are really purpose built for 
small and medium businesses. They're they're kind of trying to serve an underserved market, which is why they've been so, so successful so far. Um, the IPO is really showing me that, one, there's a giant appetite for IPOs still, despite what, what headlines you might read. And two, nobody... It still appears nobody really cares about valuation if a company's growing. <laughs> um, just to, I mean, Bill.com, just to get run down a couple of the numbers, um, they did a hundred about $108 million in sales last year. They're trading at a $2.7 billion market cap, so at about 25 times sales. Sounds like and a lot. That's a lot, especially <laughs> for a company that's not profitable. And it's most in that fiscal year, the 2019 fiscal year that just recently ended. Um, they lost $7.3 million on $108 million of revenue. Yeah. So this is not a profitable company. The only reason that the market's placing this type of value on it is because those revenues represent 67% year-over-year growth. And obviously, they think they're going to be able to, to sustain that and eventually reach profitability. Um, and, I mean, they have 81,000 customers right now. There's about 6 million small and medium businesses in the, in their target market. So it's definitely possible they could get, could sustain this. I worry that this is a very competitive space. Anything fintech is very competitive. Yeah. There are a lot of competitors with much deeper pockets than bill.com. Um I think this is kind of a I don't want to say it's a crazy valuation because if you just look at it from a how fast is it growing standpoint, it kind of makes sense. But for a company that's not profitable yet, has no clear path to profitability. Um, it just seems like a high price to pay. It, I mean, I, I, I don't disagree with that at all. And I guess I, one of the things I wonder, I mean, in going through the S1 and looking a little bit more what this business does, and it really is about wringing out the efficiencies, um, getting rid of, of that, that, that sort of back-end paperwork that can, can weigh down these small and medium-sized businesses. I mean, to an extent, though, that is something that, Companies like PayPal and or Square are doing. I mean, maybe not with the maybe not with the with the focus of something like a Bill.com. Maybe the Bill.com. This is more specifically what they're geared toward. But I mean, like you said, it's a it's a very competitive space. There are bigger and and better capitalized businesses out there pursuing at least some of this market, right? Yeah, I mean, this is not a new a new idea to automate things like like invoicing and cash management for businesses, but like I said, um, none of, none of the big players have historically focused on these small and medium sized businesses. So it remains to be seen if they'll be able to scale to the point where the efficiencies will put them into a profit into the green, and if they can do that, will it be enough to justify? You know, at almost three billion dollar market cap. Yeah. Um, so you're, it's priced that it's going to have eventually have profits that are more than its current sales. Yeah, um, I mean, it, it. You know, I feel like immediately you say SaaS business, and it gets a lot of people's attention, and it's got that subscriber model, and that gets a lot of people's attention. Now, I did notice. I mean, those subscribers, it's pretty much open ended, and they can cancel at any time. Um, I mean, it, it, I, I, I do like. The opportunity. I mean, it kind of reminds me of something like a Shopify, and that they're getting after that one particular 
area of the market and providing a solution for for a particular market that is is maybe overlooked. Um, and, and so you don't you don't dismiss that. You don't discount the the potential there. But but yeah, I mean, again, to your point, I mean, this thing has it, it was a very warm reception for a company that has not really shown any results yet. And and I mean, my my typically my standing rule with IPOs, and I, and I rarely break this. Every once in a while, I do, and, I, and then I end up regretting it. Is that I mean, you just don't buy into a company like this without giving at least a couple of quarters um, for them to report and understand how this business works, what the metrics that really matter are, uh, and understand how how management is communicating um, their vision. And I mean, speaking of management, you know, it is run by founder and CEO Rene Lassert. So I mean, he owns around thirteen percent of the company still today. Uh, so he's he's got plenty of skin in the game. He seems uh, to be very passionate. Passionate about this company and the interviews I've seen with him. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I guess I understand the market's enthusiasm given the SaaS nature of the business and the fintech nature of the business. Um, but I, I would not confuse the market's enthusiasm um, with success just yet because it seems like we don't have those signs of success given given how small these revenue numbers are today. Right. One other thing I would point out is a lot of these IPOs, especially on the smaller end, like like Bill dot com, are are takeover targets. Yeah. So I could see that maybe that's where some of its value is coming from as well. I could definitely see um, what Bill dot com does being useful to someone like a Square that has a big small and medium business ecosystem, but doesn't currently do what Bill dot com does, or you know something to that effect. Um, I could definitely see, especially if their growth continues and they continue to post great numbers but aren't profitable, I could definitely see them becoming a takeover target. Yeah, well, that's going to be one to keep an eye out on in 2020 because it's definitely not going anywhere, it sounds like, anytime soon. Um, okay, well, let's uh, let's take a look at an email we got here from a listener. As Chris Brocco writes, "Hey guys, I'm a stock advisor and rule breaker member, and generally a big fan of the industry focused podcast, especially the Financial Show." Matt, just give yourself a little pat on the back, there, buddy. It seems like we're doing something right. Uh, Chris says, "I was wondering if you guys could talk about two REITs, uh, CoreSight ticker C O R." And innovative industrial properties ticker IIPR. I realize these are two; uh, these these two are in very different markets. However, I'd be interested to hear your thoughts on how well or or not well you think they represent the real estate space. In other words, are they good ways to gain real estate exposure, or do you see them more as tech and cannabis plays respectively? Thanks, guys, for all you do, and please keep it up. Chris, thank you so much for listening. Thanks for the kind words. Uh, we're going to keep doing this as long as they let us. And I'm going to let Matt uh, take this question here because he is our real estate king. Um, and I know you've had a chance to, to dig into these names a little bit, Matt. What do you think about CoreSight and innovative industrial properties? Well, CoreSight's one that I actually know pretty well already. Um, that's a it's a data center real uh, real estate investment trust. Um, just in full disclosure, I own one of its big brothers, uh, Digital Realty Trust. Um, and have for some time. I love the data center space. And to answer the question, yes, it's both a play on real estate and tech. I've often referred to digital realty trust in articles as a different type of tech company. So, I mean, data centers, if you're not familiar, these are these giant buildings that are designed to allow um, clients to securely store and transmit data. Um, You know, if if you store a a photo to the cloud. It's probably housed at one of these data centers. Somewhere. Right. Um, so this is a great play. Data centers in general are a great play on the 
increase in cloud and connected device traffic. Um, cloud spending is expected to rise about 50, over 50% by 2022, so in the next three years. Um, and um, the connected device market is just getting huge. Like, just think of everything that's connected to the internet now that didn't used to be. Like, I mean, within three feet from me, there's a vacuum cleaner, a doorbell. And... <laughs> well, I mean, it's it's a good point, though. I mean, you're right. It's that internet of things that we've talked about before. And and I, I'm I mean, I'm glad that you you are referring it to this way because it does feel like to me you're looking at two very big long-term trends at play that work very closely together in data and all of these things that are connected to the internet. I mean, those those two work hand in hand, really. Yeah. I mean, my, my ring doorbell um, takes video of all the time and it's not stored in the doorbell itself. It's stored in the cloud. Right. Um, and just, I know uh, Jason's a, a virtual reality and augmented reality type of guy. I am. So um, that's a big driver of you know cloud growth. Um, yeah, you're right. It, and I tell you, as 5G starts to uh, roll out here, too, it is it is pretty astounding the amount of data that's going to be flowing through these networks in the course of the next five years and beyond. I mean, it's going to be a lot of fun as a consumer to enjoy that, um, but but the the work uh, behind the scenes to to be able to handle all of that capacity is is really impressive. Yeah, the augmented reality market's supposed to almost grow tenfold in the next five years. Um, I mean, I'm sure you've seen all these statistics, being that you're the the augmented reality guy. It's moving. It's moving. That's for sure. But so the the point is that data centers are are popping up all over the country, and this is a great way to play this tech trend without actually betting on an individual tech company because these buildings are going to be in very high demand. Um, I mean, CoreSight's not that huge of a company. It's just over $4 billion in size, and they have $1.8 billion of, of development in their pipeline going on right now. They, Their business model is building properties from the ground up generally instead of acquiring. Um, they have 23 data centers right now, and these are huge buildings. Just to give you kind of put that in perspective, 23 buildings, 4.6 million square feet of space. Wow. So there's a... The, these are really blowing up. Um, Jason actually lives in kind of ground zero for data centers. Northern Virginia is the, <laughs> like the biggest data center market in the country. Yeah, yeah, it's a big one. Um, and it's just it's a high barrier market. There aren't a ton of competitors. Like I said, there's a few bigger players like Digital Realty. Uh, Equinix is another big one. But there really aren't a bunch of big players in the space. And I I like it. It's a it's yields over four percent. It's been well run. It's been around for almost 20 years so it's nice it's a nice established company now we talk about long-term trends and and things that we i mean investing in long-term trends is is something we we really like to do because that gives us you know a long runway to really uh try to see how these markets shake out i think the cannabis market is a great example of there's a big long-term opportunity there it is still very much um dealing with a lot of red tape and, and and that's less so in a market like Canada, obviously more so domestically here. But you know, I, I the, the people I talk to when it comes to this space, and I and, and I, I encourage you check out Emily Flippin if you, if you haven't yet, because she's our advisor here in, in this space and, and really studies it closely, knows a lot about it. But it is one of those things where we we've seen 
we've seen where this puck is headed, right? I mean, you can't, this toothpaste can't go back in the tube. It's really just a matter of getting this red tape sorted out and this new regulatory environment um, in place. That's going to take some time. But I do think that cannabis is a is a big long-term opportunity uh, for investors, albeit one where you probably have to be a little bit more patient and a little bit more picky. So, what do you think about um, a, a REIT like Innovative Industrial Properties? Yeah, well, I mean, when you hear that name, you don't really think of cannabis. No, and maybe that's a good thing, right? You're think like when I first heard that name, I said, "Is that the the warehouse company?" <laughs> so I have to dig into this one a little bit. Um, it's a it's and just to kind of answer the first question, where I said Coresight was both a tech play and a real estate play, I'd actually put this more in the category of just a real estate play and not a a cannabis play per se. Right. Um, reason being, they invest in the buildings that house medical marijuana facilities. So they're not they're not in the recreational market at all. They're in the medical facility. They and their business model is what's known as the sale and leaseback. So a company that builds a medical marijuana facility will sell the building to this REIT and lease it back from them, like start paying them rent on the building. So they sign long-term triple net leases. The average lease lease length is over 15 years. Um so that's just consistent income. The states that have already legalized medical marijuana aren't going to go backwards, as you said. No, yeah. So this is there's not a whole lot of regulatory risk here, and like I said, they're not relying on the growth of the recreational market. I think it's pretty fair to say that the trend is toward medical marijuana being legal pretty much everywhere in America. It's already legal in 33 states, I believe. Um, yeah, I think so that's, that's I think that's fair. So that's a pretty clear trend. I don't know if it's ever going to be legal in South Carolina or any of the Southeast where I am, but eventually, that's an, eventually, that's another matter. They <laughs> it may take it, a little bit more time, but it'll it'll happen. They legalized it in Florida, which is you know, a borderline red state. Yeah, so, yeah. That's um, a good point. I was down in the in the Keys last summer, and there's a the first uh, medical dispensary opened right on the main street. So, um, but anyway, so this is the type of properties they own. They have a very conservative balance sheet. I was actually really impressed when I was digging through the statistics. Um, their debt to asset ratio is just twenty three percent. It's like if you had a mortgage and put almost eighty percent down. Wow. Um, so they're very low leverage. Their properties are making a good bit of money. They're comfortably paying about a five and a half percent dividend yield. They're a relatively young company. Um, their IPO was almost exactly three years ago. So. But I'm impressed by what I've what I've been able to uncover. They're they're doing a great job of turning investors' money into into profits. Thirteen point six percent average yield on invested capital is is a pretty impressive figure. So I'm I'm optimistic for the future. It's definitely a nice play on the continual the continual growth of this industry. But I wouldn't call it necessarily a marijuana stock. It's you know, very different investment dynamics. Yeah. Well, Chris, I, I hope uh, hope you found that helpful. Matt, thanks so much for digging into those. Um, definitely a couple of companies we will want to follow along and, and, and uh, keep tabs on this show going forward. Uh, Matt, we have another email from a listener, Joseph, who writes, Hey, J-Mo and Matt, you guys were just mentioning mobile deposits by taking a picture of a check and bingo, it's in. I remember so well when I was a kid going to the bank drive through with my dad, he would sign a check made out of cash and put it in one of those suction tubes, just like the back and forth messaging in the movie Brazil. I can't imagine banks still do this today, and yet they do. 
Joseph, yet they do. I was wondering what you think about one of the players in that space, MyTech Systems, ticker M-I-T-K. It does two things, mobile check deposits and mobile ID tech. It almost got bought out this year, but the board said the price was too low. What do you think about this small cap? Many thanks, and thank you, Joseph, for the email. Uh, this was one that I had not really looked at before, MyTech Systems, and it was a fun one to dig into because, yeah, I think you're talking about this offer from ASG that they rebuffed. Um, it was either late, yeah, I guess it was late 2018. Um, in, in according to it, ASG, made an offer uh, an offer for the company of around four hundred thirty five million dollars. In other words, they they offered to acquire MyTech for four hundred thirty five million dollars, and that was after a little back and forth. And management at MyTech still felt like that was undercutting them for for the growth opportunity they had. Though I, I don't know that I necessarily agree with that because it does it does seem like the you know, fewer people are using paper checks. I mean, that's just that's just a trend that is 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 happening, right? I mean, you're seeing less and less paper, um, and and so you're seeing less and less need for depositing those checks via your phone. Now, with that said, I mean, I probably have about three checks per year, um, paper checks that I need to deposit, and it's very nice to be able to deposit them with that just by taking a picture on my phone. So I I don't know that that's the biggest growth opportunity. In, in in you know going forward for this company now the ID tech I think is something that is going to become more important as time goes on my my only reservation here with my take is I'm not sure this is the way to play it um, and a lot of this just boils down to the fact that MyTech is a really small company. I mean, it is a small cap, but it is one of those that would probably classify as maybe not a micro micro cap, but pretty darn close. Um, if you go back to the days of our small cap service, Hidden Gems, this would probably be one of those uh, tiny gems that we would feature as, as a is one with potential, um, and that's what probably that's what gives me more that's what gives me more hesitation on this one going forward. And you look at the growth uh, for the company; it's just not anything terribly astounding. I mean, they grew revenue at a thirty three percent rate last fiscal year. It's not bad, uh, but given the company's size, I mean, that's not lighting the world on fire compared to some of these other businesses that are bigger and and, and uh, better capitalized. Now, with that said, I mean they they definitely have some some interesting identity verification customers they just signed here recently. TD Ameritrade being one, DocuSign, Adobe. Um, so, I mean they they do have some technology that um, is is being seen as helpful. Um, the other thing I dug up though was an interesting back and forth that they've been having with USAA. Where you go all the way back to 2012, the two companies pursued litig- litigation against each other over the deposit capture patents. They settled in 2014. In 2017, USAA sends warning letters to the users of MyTech's tech, and, and Wells Fargo was one of those. In June 2018, USAA sued Wells Fargo over the use of that MyTech tech. And in November 2019, the jury said that Wells Fargo must. Pay two hundred million dollars to USAA. So this all kind of leads me back to I'm not certain how well protected my tech's tech really is. And when I take all of these questions along with a, a company that's this size, you know, I'm not saying this is a bad investment. I'm saying it's one that it certainly merits more more uh, more digging into for me to really feel comfortable with it. Uh, but but nevertheless, it was a good question, and it was a company I got to learn a little bit more about. Matt, did you have a chance to dig into this one at all? Yeah, I looked into it a little bit. Um, 
honestly not that impressed with their performance over the over time. Um, I'm looking at their chart right now, and they trade at essentially the same price they did in 2011. Um, so they really haven't done a great job of producing returns for shareholders. Um, like I said some of this new identif- identification technology is is just starting to evolve, and that's only happened in the past few years. So there's no telling how far that could go. You mentioned some pretty impressive customers there, but I. Like you said, I, I'm not convinced it's the best way to play the space. All right. Well, hopefully, Joseph, that was helpful for you. Again, thank you for the email. We always enjoy being able to dig into these new companies and learn a little bit more in the process. Uh, Matt, you know what time of the year it is? It's the holiday shopping season. It's this time of year that has everybody running around like chickens with their heads cut off. And this year, though, your gift can start next year's good habit with Quip. Quip is something that's sure to put a smile on everyone's mouth because it's dental care they'll actually want to use every day. That's why Quip is the perfect, thoughtful, and practical gift. With an electric toothbrush, refillable floss, and toothpaste, all intentionally designed to make good habits simple. The Quip electric toothbrush has sensitive sonic vibrations and a timer with 30-second pulses to guide your routine, and the Quip floss dispenser has pre-marked strings so you can always use the right amount. Plus, Quip delivers brush heads, floss, and toothpaste refills every three months right to your door. Now, you know, Matt, I personally have never used Quip, but I was just at the dentist last week for my regular checkup, and while I got out of there with a clean bill of health, I also have to say that given the word of mouth I've heard here at Full HQ from full, uh, from folks who do use Quip, along with my dentist's uh, approval, I think 2020 might be a Quip kind of year for me. So uh, you know, I mean, this thing I think is pushing me in a certain direction. I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna have to let you know how this stuff works out for me. Uh, but for now, just go to getquip.com/fool to save on gift sets and get your first refill free with a refill plan. That is your first refill free at get. Q-U-I-P.com slash fool. Getquip.com slash fool. All right, Matt, and we're going to wrap up this week here with another one of our favorite segments. As always, it's that last stock you bought and why. Listeners know we love hearing about the stocks you're buying, so make sure to email us at industryfocus at fool.com or get us on Twitter at MFIndustryFocus. Let us know the last stock you bought and why. First up this week, we've got Conrad's Concessions, at Con's Concessions. He says, my last one to buy was 3M. It's a powerhouse company that's been beaten up badly, especially with their earplug lawsuit. Their 52-week spread is pretty wide, and it's way off. It's 100 DMA. Conrad? I hope that works out for you, buddy. Thank you. Dustin B. at Dustin Briggs. He lets us know, I just happened to pick up a couple of shares of Schwab earlier this week before the news broke. I use them as my broker, and I'm pretty happy with their service and products and feel like they have a competitive advantage. Love the show. Dustin, thank you so much. We love that you tweeted in with the last stock you bought and why. And we're going to wrap this week up with our very own Matt Frankel. And his last stock he bought and why. Matt, take it away. Well, I added to my position in Boston, Omaha, a stock that we love. We've, uh, I think we've interviewed about it on the show. Yeah, um, one of our One of our analysts, I think you've interviewed about it. Yeah, Buck Hartzell. Uh, yeah, um, it's one of my favorite companies. It's a, it's a tiny company right now, 
they specialize in two things. They buy insurance companies and they have a billboard business. Um, those might not sound like two very exciting <laughs> things, but over the long term, we've seen that businesses that are based on insurance and use the proceeds to acquire other money producing assets tend to do well. Yep. I think Berkshire Hathaway. Um, That's so right. this is like a, it's like a Berkshire Hathaway, just about one one thousandth of the size. So I'm buying this one because I think it could be worth a lot when I'm in my 60s, not because I think it's going to be worth a lot in a few years. Ah. So this is like an ultimate like long-term compounding play. Well, I love that idea. I know our listeners out there, a lot of them are familiar with that company, so I'm sure they are appreciative of the fact that you have given them the green light. Because if it's good enough for you, Matt, well, darn it, it's good <laughs> enough for them too, right? That's right. <laughs> All right, man. Well, I think that's going to wrap it up for us this week. And as the holiday season starts up here, we are going to be on a little bit of a, um, you know, a hectic work schedule here. So I think next week, Matt, you are going to have the week off. We'll have some uh, year-end roundtables for industry focus uh, going on for for a few days next week. Uh, so enjoy your holiday season, and we will pick it up. Uh, right where we left off the following week, all right? All right. Well, happy holidays to everybody listening. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against, and will buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. Today's show is produced by Austin Morgan. For Matt Frankel, I'm Jason Moser. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week.